Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here in the middle of the week. It is Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen. Now, normally uh, you'd be looking forward to a good old dose of Prime Minister's questions. But of course, unfortunately, at the moment, uh, we don't have a Prime Minister. And there is a big question mark over that because there will be one. Uh, we're just not quite sure who it's going to be, uh, when it's going to be announced. We think it's going to be announced on Monday. So that by midway through the show on Monday, you might well know who the new Prime Minister of this great country of ours is going to be. Will it be Liz Truss? Probably. Will it be Rishi Sunak? I hope not. Um, but I can tell you this. The people who have been representing Sunak and Truss over the course of the last several weeks um, have done a massive disservice to the world in which we live. They've done a massive disservice to democracy and they've done a massive disservice to the people of this country who, frankly, deserve better. I can't tell you how disappointed I am uh, with the calibre of leadership that we currently have. Boris Johnson uh, asked about what he should be remembered for. And remember, we're asking people that all the way through this week basically went banging on about law and order. Is he having a laugh? People are getting stabbed in the street, up and down the country. People are getting shot dead through people's doors in Liverpool. People are coming to this country who are Albanian criminals. Willy-nilly, walking onto the beach, being welcomed with open arms and walking back into their drugs gangs. Law and order? Don't make me laugh, mate. For heaven's sake, Boris needs to hop off the sooner, the better. But William Clouston is here with us this morning from the SDP. We'll ask him what legacy he thinks Boris is going to leave behind. We'll also be asking about the big story that broke this morning about Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, the man who gave us Glasnost, the man who gave us Perestroika, the man who changed the Cold War atmosphere in which we lived for so many decades and made Russia a democracy. Where did it all go wrong? Because it ain't one now. 0344 We'll be talking about the NHS. Apparently there's going to be an app brought in uh, to help you find a doctor. <laughs> they might as well just give it to Uber, mightn't they? Let them handle it. You know, just see where the nearest doctor is and see how long it takes before they come and give you the wrong medicine. We'll see. Uh, Angela Levin's going to be here as well to talk about the 6,500 word masterclass in manipulation. Yes, that's right. We're talking about the interview with Meghan Markle in an, a magazine called The Cuts. That's right. Tobias Elwood's going to be here as well. We'll ask him how on earth the British Navy have managed to build a ship that doesn't go. He went as far as the west coast of the Isle of Wight. Sorry, the east coast of the Isle of Wight. Didn't make the west coast. Uh, and then it broke down. They'd take it back to Portsmouth. <laughs> Pretty much sums up the country. Notting Hill, should it be shut down? Probably. Lots more to do. Loads of your calls, of course, as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Things aren't any better. We're still just as badly off as we were yesterday. But we're still hopeful that it will actually get better. I don't know when, but, you know, trust me, it will happen. Uh, this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get on it.
I'm delighted to say, joining me in the studio live right now is William Clouston. William, very good morning to you. Great to be back. Looking Thanks. very summery, I must say. I mean, some yeah, people I've... think this is the last day of summer, 31st of August, but I don't think so. Take I it th- when it's there. Yeah, yeah wait, wait until so. the winter, I'll put the, you know, the now, heavier. Now, normally person. you get down this way by train. Did you do that today? Yeah, uh, yesterday. Yesterday, how was it? Because I'm, I'm, I'm keen to find out how the trains are running, because yeah. I walked through London Bridge Station yesterday uh, as I was on my way out to dinner, and I could see a whole list of cancellations to various points, east, west, north and south. Yeah, so it seems to me it's it still fine. not really working very well. It was well. fine yesterday for me. Okay. Yeah, it was on time. Uh, it was a little bit late getting out of Newcastle, but it was, it was you fine. You expect that. I mean, as long yeah. as they're running is all yeah. I care about. No, it was, it was fine. Okay, good. Let's talk about um, Mikhail Gorbachev, yeah. um, a man who you and I both probably remember um, as a rather benevolent Russian leader, mm. uh, the man who kind of started the whole movement of bringing Russia back into the civilised world. Mm. And a man who should be remembered probably as a very significant character, right? Massively significant, yeah. Statesman in the age of statesmen. We don't have too many statesmen now, do we? But he was he was uh, an important figure because he recognised that he, he couldn't go on. You know, the, the system he was running, the, the Soviet Union, mm. was, was getting into severe economic trouble. Yeah, And I think actually the... the, the latter part of the Cold War, Caspar Weinberger and Reagan deserve credit mm. actually for ending it because actually Weinberger's arms race actually bankrupted the yes. Soviet Union. And, and that was a brilliant, I don't know whether sort of by accident that happened or whether it was a, a, a brilliant piece a of consequence. strategy. Yeah, I mean yeah. Thatcher also played her part. Yes, Thatcher, she did. The Thatcher-Reagan sort of axis yeah. really yeah. was too strong for Russia to, to bear, wasn't it? Yeah, and, the, and the, I mean I think Gorbachev likened the Soviet economy to a sort of old bit of farm machinery. Yes. He said he loosened it up and it just fell apart. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's criticised in in the Soviet Union and or you know in Russia now for for what happened. But I don't think there was an easy way. There wouldn't have been an easy way for a, an entity like that to collapse. No, I mean it's a bit like Afghanistan mm. now. You know, you, there's not a good way of getting out of, of certain. And things. you can imagine as well the people in the Kremlin that would have wanted him not to do what he went and, and, yeah. and embarked upon yeah. because you know people have been killed for less yeah, in for, Russia for sure. But yeah. he realised it and 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 that the game was up and and I think it was probably a, a, a smoother transition as you could get. Mm. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, and you and I are old enough. We are Cold War kids. Yeah. We grew up in this environment. When You know, there were times you think, when's it going to end? Yeah. I mean, I don't remember ever feeling fearful that, uh, you know, some bomb was going to land no. in London. No, But there was always a sense that Russia was a quite a dangerous place, wasn't it? Was it was a hideous state. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, interviewed a, a friend of mine, Constant Kissin, the other day for SCB Talk. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about his background because his backstory is very important mm. to him and his new book. And he, he mentioned something startling fact. His, his grandmother was born in a gulag mm. for having the wrong... Literally, she was in a, a concentration camp for having the wrong opinions. Yeah. She lives in Bristol now. This right. is a living memory. We shouldn't forget it. No. And as much as we like to joke about the wokists being uh, very intolerant of life, I mm. mean, you know, no matter how ridiculous Bristol can be, and, and, can, <laughs> and it can become, it's never going to be quite it's that bad. It's not the bad. gulag. It's not no, quite. It's I mean, they the do gulag. tear down statues. Yeah, they do. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. they do have a, yeah. have a go at the police for, for uh, you know, for what, one reason or another. And they have banned diesel cars from the centre yeah. of town. And the courts but, let people off for tearing yes, down statues. but they yeah. haven't quite reached those, those levels. But let's actually no. go back and look at Ronald Reagan, because apart from anything else one of the things i loved about ronald reagan was he was the ultimate communicator they called him the great communicator he had been an actor he was uh, a union leader in in hollywood and all of that but have a look at this and if you haven't ever seen this just just marvel at this talent mr gorbachev teared down this wall seeing there is the dismantling the physical dismantling of the berlin wall 
which yeah. I think certainly, I mean, I've never been to Berlin still, mm. even now. And mm. I mean, I'd love to go and I will go, to, mm. hopefully before I die. Um, Fine city. But, but you know, the idea that Germany was, was cut in half into East yeah. and West Germany and East Germany was a horrific place. It, um, we've all seen the movies about the Stasi, the lives Life of others, others yeah, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, you, I, you, you would go to Europe and you would have this sense that, that somewhere in the middle of Europe was this barrier. Yeah, to freedom. It, it's astonishing. Yeah, so I, I had a friend when I my first degree was planning, and, mm. and I had a friend who's Polish, Anglo-Polish, and he went back to Poland during martial law and the Jaroszewski, and he said, "Do you want to come along to Warsaw?" I said, mm. "Yeah, let's let's go." We were bugged everywhere, secret police looking at you. Mm. You couldn't move. Literally, it was a, it was an interesting experience. It was the first time, Mike, that I saw uh, two species of truth, mm. and we're getting like that here. The public truth, the mm. Pravda truth. No one believed anything that was in the papers or, no. or uh, uttered by the news. And people couldn't speak their truth mm. publicly. You, all the truth they had was, was what he called uh, dinner table mm. truth. And it's getting a little bit like that now where people say, well, I can't say this and I can't say mm. that. And it's very interesting going and seeing it and witnessing it. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. And, of course, the end result of that is that it becomes a very deadly world because yeah. you can be reported and you can be locked up for life. Workplace. Or you can be um, you know, executed for having the wrong thoughts. That's exactly what Constance said. His, his grandparents were locked up for saying something at work. Mm. That's, that actually happened. Absolutely Shock. extraordinary. My other Russian story revolves around Boris Yeltsin. It would have been shortly before Yeltsin kind of took over and he was being hailed as the sort of the uh, the next big guy, and he mm. came to America, and it would have been, I guess, around about ninety one ish or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he came to Washington D.C. to have a meeting with, I guess, it would have been uh, George Bush because mm. Clinton hadn't quite got in. Yeah, it was Bush. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, we staggered around Washington, and he loved the bars, and he was in all in and out of all. Did these he bars. stagger? He didn't actually stagger at that point, right? Because I was kind of, I mean, I've always been a reasonably good drinker. This guy, I've never seen anybody drink Jack Daniels like it. I mean, really? he was literally drinking it by the bottle. Yeah. And he then suddenly declared one night at about 10 o'clock, and he was surrounded by all these kind of, you know, American diplomats, mm. that he wanted to go and see the breadbasket of America, because that right. was his big thing, because Russia then, I suppose, still included Ukraine. And they you had get all... him a breadbasket. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think they did think of that, but he was yeah. like, no, 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 I want to go to see right. it. So they took him yeah. to the Midwest, and we, flew, we all got on a plane the next day mm. to somewhere like uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Um, and all got out, staggered about, went to a couple of farms. In fact, I got I was staying in a hotel. It was Wichita, Kansas we ended up in. Right. And I was staying in a hotel, and in the middle of the night, all these sirens were going off, and apparently there was a tornado warning. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that'd be fine. And they came and actually dragged me out of the bed and mm. said, look, you've got to go downstairs. There's a tornado. And I looked out the window. Really? One side of the street was completely black, yeah. and the other side was completely, you know, light. It was dawn. Isn't it odd character, uh, Yeltsin? I mean, he stood on a tank and probably pre Remember prevented a, a revolution. So, yeah, but I wonder how many of his decisions were entirely sober. Yes, I mean, I think the amount he drank as a world leader probably yeah. wasn't great. Yeah. Um, in terms of <laughs> whether, because we all know, if you make decisions when drunk, that's one thing. But when you make decisions when you're really hungover, yeah. also all, bad. Also bad. You know, yeah. you wake up and you go, yeah. no, that's fine. I yeah. mean, in some ways, it's amazing that he lasted as long as he did. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what a period. And how did we get here from there? Well, it's interesting. John Gray, a political philosopher who I uh, have a lot of respect for, um, wrote a piece around then. And it was all about what the new Russia would be like. Mm. What was the what was the new Russia going to be like? And he wrote a piece, a little bit controversial at the time. He said the new Russia be rather like the old Russia. Yeah. And actually, in a way, that so sort is. of happened. Yeah. 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 And 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 I can I guess you could almost blame the West in a way for not thinking about it enough and just going, "This is great." 
Yeah. Now, now we've got, I mean, a bit like the way that they didn't see the Balkans war coming. Mm. You mm. know, they didn't understand the tension. They didn't, in the same way they couldn't do much about um, what was happening in Pakistan and India and Afghanistan. They mm. didn't see the Taliban. They didn't see um, Al-Qaeda coming. No. I mean, there's been a lot of failings in Western intelligence, it seems to me. Shocking failings, but the probably none bigger than the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war, which we discussed before. The, yeah. Iraq, the Afghanistan war, uh, a project to impose by force uh, liberal values yeah. on a society that was not particularly interested. It doesn't understand yes. it, and and that was probably the most foolish error you could you could make. Mm. So, yeah, I, I I'd accept that. Yeah, let's have a watch uh, of one of our MPs this morning. Victoria Atkins was on breakfast talking to Julie Hartley Brewer, and Julie was trying to convince her of the folly of net zero. Have a look at this. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to William Clouston from the SDP. They've got a conference coming up uh, shortly. I think we'll talk about that in a second. Bit of breaking news. Uh, Eurozone inflation, uh, William, has reached a record 9.1%. So for yeah. all those Ramonas who go, well, it's not as bad as this in Europe. Well, apparently it is as bad as this in Europe. Well, the Ramonas um, seem, don't seem to be able to look at figures. They I mean, don't. We've, we've grown, this country's grown broadly in line with... If you, you know, I said the other night, actually, you know one of those little horse ride races mm. at, the, at the seaside, you know, the little amusement arcade thing if you if you did a blind testing you said that's britain that's france that's germany yeah. that's italy you wouldn't be able to tell which country had left the euro right uh, eurozone yeah exactly right and they've all got problems with energy mm. but there is this sort of unfortunate you know headlong rush into net zero which mm. even now when you would think that they would see the folly of it is continuing you know well, the best we've got is Liz Truss saying oh we might suspend the green levies um mm. John Rental was in here yesterday saying that the green levy actually is less important now than it was because it's, it's not yeah. as big as a, a proportion of the thing however yeah. Yeah. it's not so much the green levy though as the green subsidies mm. uh, which the, which which the companies also then charge us yeah sure so and, you know it's not as simple as that to say oh the green levy is as a, as a proportion of the actual you know kilowatt per hour charge yeah um is is reduced because there are other factors that that come into play aren't yeah, but I, I mean, there's a, there's a headlong rush now from Tories uh, to say we need energy resilience and e- energy self-sufficiency. Yeah. I wish they'd thought, thought of that 25 years ago. Why well, do you need a major crisis before they wake up? Well, we've what's got, wrong we've, with we've, we've we've seen both Nick Clegg and um, uh, what's his face, the uh, Ed Davy, Ed Davy, Sir Ed Davy, yeah. laughably called Sir Ed Davy, gloating about how they managed to stop fracking and uh, nuclear development. Yeah, and they they ruined the balance of payments in the in the process. Mm. He would prefer Ed Davy would prefer us to import energy and hydrocarbons and mm. gas from other places rather than use what we've got. So he's, yes. he's actually responsible. And that's, that's supercritical, surely, because totally. what, what it, what, one, it's not green. It right. just means that you can pretend that you're green, but you're actually not because you're importing the stuff that you refuse to make yourself. You, you ruin the balance of payments. What yeah. these people don't uh, understand is that we have to pay for this stuff. Mm. If you've got your own, you don't. Yeah, you might like even saying, export some of it. It's like saying I don't eat anything because I don't cook anything, but I order it all in from uh, from Just Eat. Crazy. And they you could have, and they could have 20 years ago. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pro net zero targets, but not before you've built yeah, the nuclear why, power station. Yeah, why you don't you? need... Because nobody else has told no, me why. You can, do, you, can do, you, can, you can do it, but you can't do it without nuclear power. Yeah, but why power. do it, though? Well, I, there is... Carbon is there. I mean, I'm, I'm not against it. We've largely decarbonised as a society because we've deindustrialised. Mm. I think we've done... It, we're only 1% anyway. I think yeah. there's a massive 
preoccupation with I mean. it. It's not mine. And but, but I, I, with, I don't the greatest, think... with the greatest respect to you, William, and, yeah. I, and, I, and, I, and I, I do respect you, but you, you are doing what everybody else does, which mm. is you're not telling me why you want net zero. Net zero doesn't mean anything to most people. When I ask people who are supposedly experts, yeah. I say, what is net zero? They can't tell me. Isn't it, How will it help us? They can't it, say. It, won't, it, you can, it doesn't help this country particularly, because you're only 1%. But the global effort to try and reduce carbon use is sensible. What I'm against is governments imposing it on people mm. and imposing poverty on people because they haven't planned. Right. You didn't need to do. And that's now what's happening. And that and that's what's happening. And they could. And then when they do try and plan, they don't have the country's best interests at heart. Hinckley C and Sizewell, both of those major projects, are going ahead. They've asked the French to do it. Mm. You, I would argue you've got to really hate this state to to say we can't do. But this. we have no expertise in it because we haven't done it it's such been, a long time. Yeah, and that's the government's fault because yes. we're, we're governed by a political class. And there are only two countries plan. that can build nuclear plants, and it's China and France. And I guess you'd have to say France is preferable to China. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it obviously you know it what is. They're but we shouldn't. In the ground. Have, yeah, we. Should, I know. And <laughs> I and I said, you know, I said in 2019 at the conference that any it's like it's like our our communications network. Any government that that outsources that to the Chinese Communist Party. It's not even wrong. It's insane mm. to do that. Absolutely, and they're slow learners. They eventually mm. come round, but the country pays the price. Yeah. Rolls Royce uh, uh, do have a program you could implement with smaller modular reactors. They produce a fraction of what Hinkley would mm. do or Sizewell would do. You need about seven of them for one Hinkley. That's yeah. about the scale of it. I don't see any evidence they're really rolling that out either. Well, if Nick Clegg had not stopped it happening, mm. we'd have them. I know. We'd have ten and, of them. I know, and then you wouldn't you wouldn't need your little levy on your bill. And we wouldn't be sitting here going, I know. well, wouldn't it be great if we could get our own, uh, you know, energy to rely on? Until you, until you elect people that are capable of planning and thinking ahead, this will happen again mm. and again. And I've said it before, they, it's the same with trade. They have to have a crisis before they realise, oh, we've actually got it wrong. Yeah, and then they fix the crisis, but the actual um, exactly. framework doesn't change. Let me ask you about Boris Johnson. All this week we've been asking people what they think um, they will remember him for. Not so mm. much what his legacy will be, but mm. what will you remember him for? I think uh, I'll remember him for an odd uh, technique which he has, uh, which I've met one or two people in life that have done this, which is I call flat denial. So... Boris Johnson will be asked about something like the Northern Ireland Protocol, about uh, you know the border in the Irish Sea, and his response instead of addressing the issue will be flat. No, it's not. Yeah, it's just not. We're not going to have that. Right. I said, hold on. So, so is the sky blue? No, it's not. Yeah. And that's so. That's what I remember from Johnson. Yeah. Flat denial of reality. Yes. His statement today, uh, when he was asked how he would like to be remembered. He was in Lewisham uh, in South East London yesterday. I think as the Prime Minister who in three years helped to bring neighbourhood crime down by 38% thanks to the work of the Metropolitan Police and others. Right. Best I mean, not the greatest week to say that after the stabbing at Notting Hill. Um, the numbers of people, 200 people arrested at Notting Hill Carnival, one yeah. man stabbed to death. I know. Um, a nine-year-old girl uh, lying dead in Liverpool because drug dealers broke into uh, a door that by completely by chance she happened mm. to be behind and shot her dead. You know, unbelievable. Shocking record. Yeah. Um, you know, Tyson Fury's own cousin being stabbed to death I know. in Manchester. I know. I mean, what the hell is he talking about? There no, is no law and order in this country. No, there isn't. And, and, and until we take a, a sharper, firmer approach, which we need to do, and, you know, people say, well, there's too many people in prison. And I, I, I would say it depends on the level of criminality. Yeah. You need as much prison space. I mean, people forget, actually, Howard understood this, that, you know, he, he understood that actually prison does serve a purpose. Yeah. It, it stops the people 
who are in prison from committing crime exactly. while they're in prison. It's as simple as that. The idea that somehow, oh, it doesn't really work. Well, it works as far as the, 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 the victims are concerned. Yeah. Because if you've had somebody break into your house and then you lock him up, while he's locked up, he's not breaking into anybody else's and house. And that's protection for society. Yeah. And, and, and how many times, Mike, have we heard people getting out on early release, mm. immediately going and killing someone or, yeah. you know, or breaking... Well, look at the guy in Liverpool, yeah, yeah. Know, who was the target of the Early shooting. release again. He's yeah. now gone back into prison because exactly. he's been shot at. I mean, ridiculous. Yeah. Daily Mail Shocking. front page today, have police given up on burglary? It's the first time the Daily Mail's asked a question on the front page to which the answer has been yes. Yes. I mean, you'd be lucky Normally to get anyone no. to pay any attention. You know, that. like, is this the most dangerous man in Britain? Yeah. And you go, no, no it's And not. yet the virtual signalling's fine. They can do that and spend money on that. So yeah, Tell us about your star it. guest at the uh, yeah, SDP we, conference. We've got, we've got a, a conference at Manchester Central, which is the big venue there. We, we're not in the main. We're going to get there eventually. But we're in Manchester Central on the 8th of October, okay. SDP conference. And the, the star guest is John Cleese. Very good. Very, very happy. Has he joined you? Is he one no, of yours? No, he, he was a Social Democrat in the 80s. Did right. two very famous... Uh, party political broadcasts so I mean I, I just got in touch with him and, and had a, a meeting with him and he's, he, he's agreed to come and speak so we're very excited about that okay. got Peter Whittle and Emma Webb and uh, Rod Little Rod Little of course I, yes. myself absolutely many others and in Joanna a, Williams in a, in a minute right? if I said to you how do you fix this energy crisis how do you make people's bills go down what would you say there are only two ways of doing it uh, the comprehensive approach which is to give money lend money directly to the energy companies and say you're not putting up uh, up the prices and mm. then you have a loan system you might pay it out of uh, over 10 or 15 years downside the plus side of that is it reduces inflation which you want to do mm. downside is very crude so you're effectively paying people who, who have swimming pools the second way is to target it which is through the tax and benefit system and, and universal credit the government's been asleep mm. that's that's the situation i would have gone for because it's slightly cheaper yeah and more targeted on those that need it but whether they can get that done if Trust becomes Prime Minister next week, I don't think there's enough time. Mm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm queasy about just handing out money to people, but maybe the answer... The economy will collapse, Mike. Yeah. You've, the, pubs, you know, the pubs point. But there won't be any pubs yeah. unless... The, we're in a crisis. This doesn't normally happen. Mm. It's extremely... Un, you know, I, I'm not... I'm basically a fiscal conservative. Mm. I'm not a, in favour of sharing money everywhere. But the, the economy will collapse if the government doesn't do it so they need to do it no of course they have to do something but but maybe the answer is what you said earlier which is to give the money to the company so they reduce the bills that, and we don't need to give people money that deals with the source that would be better yeah, yeah. Uh, in my view so yeah, yeah. william clouston's already come up with a better idea than anybody in parliament amazing isn't it this is talk tv thanks william we'll see you soon uh, we'll see you after this Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Much to do today. We've got plenty going on. We're going to talk to Tobias Elwood a little bit later on. Uh, a fascinating story uh, that's popped up in the uh, Times this morning. Uh, it's a Times investigation, actually, uh, into what Shemima Begum was up to and how she actually got to Syria. The allegation in a new book suggests that a Western spy actually took her there uh, and was in the process of taking various other people there in order to try and infiltrate ISIS. Um, I have no clue as to whether or not this story is true. Um, However, he's getting plenty of traction and we will talk to Tobias about that in the same way that we will also talk to him about what has gone wrong with the British Navy who can't seem to make an aircraft carrier that goes anywhere. They made one that went about two miles and then it conked out. Propeller shaft problem. Fairly basic stuff, isn't it? Also in the Times this morning, very, very good story on the front page. An app will let patients avoid long NHS waits. Now, apparently, uh, you'll basically get an app on your phone, which I presume will work similarly uh, to the one that used to tell you whether you had checked into a place that uh, was infected with COVID because somebody was sitting at a table very close to you. The app will supposedly tell you where a local doctor might be or which hospital might be able to see you. Um, Sounds like technology for the future, but will it actually work? Let's talk to Dr. Lawrence Gerlis, GP at Same Day Doctor. Lawrence, a very good morning to you. 
Morning, Mike. So, yeah. um, I mean, we were laughing about this earlier on, saying, you know, what's next? You're going to have a sort of Uber-style medical service where you just kind of have a look on your phone and whichever doctor happens to be driving past or cycling past, he can pop in and give you some uh, some treatment. I think this falls into the category of what Tony Blair once called eye-catching initiatives. <laughs> That's all it is. It's eye-catching, isn't it? It's a soundbite. But uh, you and I know that it just won't happen. And it, even if it did happen, it won't work. Um, the reality is that, uh, you know, waiting this is very long. I, I, I'm not, my reading of this, I didn't read the full article, was that you might be able to shop around and find a hospital that could do your hip operation. Mm. But they're saying you can find a local GP as well. Well, that's not going to happen. Um, and as far as referrals to hospitals are concerned, you know, I, people don't know this. When I was a GP in the NHS, I wanted to refer, if I wanted to refer you to a hospital doctor, I'd just write to someone I knew, send him a letter, and his PA would then send back an appointment. Mm. Nowadays, the referral system, you have to fill in a sort of 10-page online form, and if you miss one of the boxes, it just gets rejected by yeah. the computer at the hospital. And about two-thirds of those referrals are actually rejected by the hospital. So you, you, you could come in to me as a patient and say, you, you know, you've got tingling in your hands, you want to see a neurologist. Neurologists could say, no, we're, we're rejecting this referral. I mean, I follow a lot of GPs on social media, and this is one of the most frustrating things in the world because mm. the patients then get upset. Um, uh, sometimes referrals are rejected because someone says, well, you need to do a blood test within 90 days of, of me seeing them, and the last blood test was 92 days right. ago. So then you've got to arrange for another blood test, which could be another yeah, three months away. Yeah, exactly. So this whole idea that an app, can somehow speed up access to whether it's to primary care or hospital secondary care is a complete nonsense and as you say it's a bit like that ridiculous app that told you if someone was sitting in the same yeah. restaurant as you and which when you look back at it is it's utterly laughable I well, mean, there's so many things about covid and that's one of them <laughs> well um, apparently the, the most use that people made of that particular app was for people who wanted to take the day off or have the week off possibly and we were told it was particularly popular with train drivers where you would literally walk down a street and and and, cl and clock yourself in check yourself into about five different venues at least one of which would say you've got covid and yeah. then you could take the rest of the week off i mean it just seems mad to me and since we learned just the other day that something like one and a half million people can't now access their GP because these GP surgeries have all closed. Um, yeah. You know, the fact that you're going to have an app that tells you where you can go seems impossibly ridiculous. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I, what I was hoping is, I mean, people have talked about the NHS working with spare capacity of the private sector. If the app lets you say, I'll have my hip operation at a private hospital and the NHS will pay for it, well, that might actually work. Mm. Or, or, I'll, or they'll fly me to Turkey and the NHS will pay for the operation over there because that will be cheaper. Yeah. But I very much doubt that. I think this is something that um, someone's going to make a lot of money out of and it won't do anything at all to help help the patient. No, it'll, be, it'll turn out to be one of Matt Hancock's mates that's developed yeah. the app, won't it? Yeah. But this is yeah. the thing. Um, I've always said this, that, that, and you and I have had frequent conversations about what's wrong with the NHS. It's an analogue business, basically, the digital yeah. world. You know, yeah. I hear stories all the time of people yeah. who can't see doctors because of some, as you say, piece of red tape or the right form yeah. hasn't been yeah. filled in or yeah. they've lost the form or you had to post something before you got there and it didn't yeah. arrive. Yeah. You know, it's madness the yeah. way it's run. Yeah. All of that. There's a lesson in one of the papers today from a surgeon who put into words what I've been trying to express, and this is about hospital care. We know about the problems in general practice, but I'm trying to encapsulate what's wrong with hospitals. Mm. And he says, as a surgeon, he used to do 350 operations a year. He now does half of that. Mm. 
because there's so much paperwork, the revalidation with mandatory training has to do um, with changes to the contract, which are meant to improve things, but actually has always made things worse. So he's, and if you multiply that, you know, 10,000 times all over the health service, it's become dysfunctional. It's become bogged down in its own process. Mm. So the surgeons can't have the freedom to do the operations. So the waiting lists get longer. So the GPs get fuller. The hospitals can't discharge patients to, to care homes. The whole thing, as you know, as we talked before, it's broke. The whole system is broke yeah. and it's not fixable. Uh, and I'm, I'm fed up with people talking about underfunding. It's, 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 not, not, it's no. not underfunded. It's absolutely uh, not underfunded. And even, even if it were, I think we've got other priorities. I'm not more concerned about old people sitting at home choosing between turning an electric fire on and, and having something to eat. That's a bigger concern for mm. me than pouring more money into the health service. Yeah. Quite well, I mean, isn't it incredible that we find ourselves living in a country where people are actually seriously talking about having churches and libraries and banks uh, where people can go to stay warm in the winter i yeah. mean sorry yeah. it's 2022 yeah. you know not 1822 yeah but that will happen people will ca- i saw calculations yesterday people working out it's cheaper to pay network rail to go to work mm. than to stay at work from home and keep the heating on mm. now that's that's an interesting conundrum yeah. that a lot of people are going to have to face yeah and I, and I suspect people will go back into the offices because they're warmer. Absolutely right. Yeah, and they might even work longer hours. And maybe yeah, we'll actually yeah. become more productive. Maybe it's a secret oh, yeah. plan. And we didn't yeah. know the Tories were this clever. <laughs> it turns out that they're much cleverer than even they knew. But that's, yeah. the, that's the ludicrous place we find ourselves in. What do you make of Barclay, Stephen Barclay's kind of attempts at the moment to try and improve matters? I mean, he came out yesterday and said that he wanted to have the number of uh, management consultants reduced by 80%. Again, yeah, th- it's a good idea, but it's not going to happen, is it? Well, I, I, first of all, it's a very good idea. I'm horrified the amount of money the NHS spends on management consultants. So, uh, you know, I don't see why we need any of them, quite frankly. Well, if we're doing we, what they're suggesting, they obviously don't have a clue how to run yeah, the NHS. Yeah, yeah. We know, look, we know how to treat patients. The surgeons know how to operate. The GPs know what to do. We don't need to be told what to do. We don't need to reorganise. We just need to get on with it. We need to retain more staff. We need more staff. And we need to find a way of doing that without the health service costing more money than it's already costing. No, I think look, if that's what Steve Barkley wants to do, I, I, I'm all for it. But I, as you say, I'd like to see it actually happen. Yes. We're probably tied into long-term contracts with some of these people. Yes, I think that is part of the problem as well. Dr. Lawrence Gurlis at uh, Same Day Doctor, very good to talk to you. Thank you, as ever, GP uh, out there in the real world, where, of course, you can't solve everything with an app. It doesn't really work like that. Um, if you could have an app that told you where there was a doctor, there's a pretty good chance that it wouldn't work. Remember Track and Trace? Absolutely hopeless, wasn't it? 0344 499 The main reason Net Zero is so pointless, um, says Chris, uh, is that there is no verifiable scientific evidence that man-made CO2 is the cause of climate change. Not just that our emissions are only 1%. The whole green agenda is complete nonsense, but no one dare say it. Well, we say it, uh, and of course we get told that, oh, you're just idiots, you're just stupid. Don't you know what the scientists have to say? Yeah, well, we saw what the scientists had to say about covid they managed to get up completely and utterly round their ears, didn't they? This is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We talk about a great many things here uh, on this show. We talk about the NHS and the problems that they face in uh, uh, running it. We talk about the police and how terrible uh, that's run at the moment. We've got several uh, constabularies in special measures, including Metropolitan Police. We saw uh, the Nottingham Carnival descend into chaos uh, on Monday, as it inevitably does. People being stabbed, one person stabbed to death. We've seen the outbreak of gun violence in Liverpool. Uh, We've seen stabbings all over the country. Uh, Manchester saw... uh, the death of uh, um, Tyson Fury's cousin who was stabbed to death uh, outside of a bar. And of course, the problem is that we keep hearing from Priti Patel at the Home Office that things are going to change. And today uh, she's issued a statement to say that uh, the police have to give up on being woke. Well, let's talk now to David Spencer, who's head of crime and justice at the Policy Exchange, former detective chief inspector. He's got a new report out, uh, basically in which it says um, policing can win which is some good news, at least. Um, so tell us, um, David, a very good morning to you. Um, how can policing win? Because it seems to be um, stuck in the sort of, uh, in its own penalty area, about five nil down. Two minutes to go. Morning, Mike. Well, as you say, we've uh, we've published the report at Policy Exchange today, um, and I have absolutely no doubt in my mind um, that policing can win over those who would Uh, commit crime and disorder in our communities. Unfortunately, the reality is that right now, and you've summed up some of the challenges that policing has lost its way. And what we're trying to do is to present a series of recommendations for the next Home Secretary and Prime Minister to be able to take those up so we can get policing in this country back on the right track. Yeah. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Makes you think in your estimation, in your report, that it's got off track because a lot of people blame um, the College of Policing. A lot of people blame the sort of the management of the police in this country, as it were. The frontline police and many of the pieces of the police separate departments run reasonably well it's just like that the image is is wrong yeah you make a really important there uh, point there there is absolutely no doubt that the vast majority of individual police officers are 
uh, courageous and hugely committed to serving the public every yeah. day. And, um, I, you know, I wouldn't want to lose that really, really important point. This is about how the system can work better to enable police officers to better serve the public. Mm. Yeah, because, I mean, so many times now, we've got the front page of the Daily Mail, um, and you see the refrain quite often, have they given up on burglary? You know, the police stats themselves would suggest that they have. Um, and it would seem to be a relatively easy fix to investigate more crimes, to interact more with the public, um, and to get out and about more, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you make, um, there's two points there I'd pick up on. The first is that what we need to do is get ahead of these crimes and prevent crimes happening in the first place. And the key way of doing that is neighbourhood policing. Mm. Your local posted police officer who's there for an extended period of time, who knows the local criminals, who knows the intelligence of what's going on. And unfortunately, what we've seen in recent years is the hollowing out of neighbourhood policing in a lot of parts of the country. So that's that's the first thing we absolutely need to get on top of is a reinvestment in neighbourhood policing. Yes, because people need to feel safe in the streets that they live in. And there's a lot of people now in this country who don't feel safe. You know, we saw that terrible murder up in Liverpool of little Olivia, nine-year-old, nine-year-old girl shot in her own home. I mean, I know it's a kind of a freakish thing and it's not the sort of thing that happens on a daily basis. But it tells you that there's a, a stream and a kind of a strand of society in Britain now, which is completely lawless. And they don't appear, these gangsters, to care about the police and they don't seem to care about the consequences of what they do. No, I think um, what we absolutely need is to make sure that uh, police forces and police officers have the uh, have the time and are able to really get on and tackle these sorts of problems that you're talking about. Unfortunately, at the moment, police officers are often diverted by different things and different priorities. You know, one of the things we talk about in the report is the amount of time that is taken up dealing with um, people who have mental illness. Mm where no crime and disorder happens at all. And there really is a question about whether the police should be spending as much time as they are dealing with those situations. And if they were able to um, enable that those people with mental ill health were being dealt with by the appropriate um, appropriate places, mm. hospitals and whatnot, then actually I think you'd see a lot more police time able to focus on the crime issues that you're rightly talking yes. about. Yes, because surely the police should be able to just say no I know that seems to be a ridiculous concept these days, but could they not just say, look, we're not doing that. That's not our job. That's your job. Uh, if you haven't got anybody to do that job, that's your problem. We're not going out and about taking valuable time away from our crime detection uh, to actually go and uh, deal with people that are not criminals. Well, this is where it needs uh, real national political leadership. It cannot just be down to police chiefs and police and crime mm. commissioners. This is something which we need to see the next Home Secretary uh, or the current Home Secretary, if she if she's still in post next yeah. week, we need to see real national political leadership, and this needs to be the Home Secretary, the Policing Minister, Police and Crime Commissioners, and Police Chiefs working on this together, yeah. rather than some kind of um, sort of uh, some kind of disjointed approach. We yeah. need to see a real unity here and real national political leadership. I mean, a lot of critics of the system tell me that the reason why it's become so kind of political, the police force, is because of the appointment of these police and crime commissioners. Would you go along with it? What does your report say about that and how the politicisation of the police has kind of ruined their day-to-day -day working? Well, of course, the idea behind police and crime commissioners was that they would bring accountability closer to the public that mm. the police are able to serve rather than um, that accountability being held in Whitehall and Westminster with 
with the Home Office. So mm. that was the original idea of them. And of course, you know, there are some really excellent police and crime commissioners out there who are doing what the system was set up to do. I think the challenge we have is that you know policing, you know, a lot of modern policing, whether it's online gangs, fraud, county line, you know, these vicious criminals that are um, you know tooling around with firearms yeah. and whatnot. The reality, a lot of this is a national problem, a national situation. And what we need is national leadership to be able to join together different police forces to be able to collaborate and work well together. Mm. Now, some of that does happen, but the reality is at the moment we're not getting that quite right. And that's where national political leadership comes in. And as far as your reports of uh, findings are concerned, Obviously, you'll be transmitting those and, and passing them on to the Home Secretary and to Priti Patel and to her department. Um, what sort of reaction have you had so far from, from anyone in, in positions of power, if you like? Um, well, you know, you've seen you'll have seen the newspapers yourself today. Yeah. Uh, my understanding is that uh, officials and those at uh, Marsham Street, the Home Office, not far from where I'm sat today, are... Uh, are reading and digesting and we'll see what they've got to say in the in the coming weeks and months no doubt yes well let's hope they take some notice because there has been a sense that the home office really has not as a whole been very fit for purpose from passports to migrants to um you know illegal immigration to um police to prisons to justice a lot of people also say um um, uh, David, that the justice system needs to be improved because the reason why a lot of criminals don't care about getting caught is because they know they won't really be punished very much. Well, it's a real problem in our criminal justice system at the moment. There is no doubt that that's the case. The And we talk about some of this in the report, the huge backlogs in the criminal cases, particularly in the Crown Court. Mm. Um, the Ministry of Justice really needs to get a grip of this um, because we are seeing some real problems. And, you know, the old saying... You know, uh, of um, justice delayed being justice denied. There is no doubt that that is the case at the moment. We have really serious cases not being listed in Crown Court until 2024, mm. and that is not sustainable. No. And the Ministry of Justice really needs to get a grip of that. Absolutely right. Great to speak to you, David. Thank you very much indeed. David Spencer, the Head of Crime and Justice at the Policy Exchange, uh, former Detective Chief Inspector. It looks like a man that knows what he's talking about. Surely his report and the report from the policy exchange must be uh, taken on board must be adopted and they've got to get rid of this wokest nonsense inside of the police force haven't they uh, talk to us about that 0344 499 coming up next tobias elwood joins us he's chair of the defense select committee i'm going to ask him how is it possible that we spend billions and billions of pounds on a, uh, an aircraft carrier that doesn't go anywhere because it's got a dodgy propeller seriously this is talk tv on your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, lots more for us to do between now and one o'clock when Ian Collins is going to be here, of course. Uh, how about this from Pete? He says, for the new NHS waiting list app, are they using the same software boffins that messed up track and trace? Well, that was uh, a bit unfortunate, wasn't it? Uh, we tried to get Tobias Elwood to uh, give us an indication of when somebody was going to get to grips with this country uh, and make it work properly, because there isn't much out there that you could hold your hands up to say, it works and it's great. Julie Hartley Brewer was questioning Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss last week, if you remember, and she asked Rishi Sunak one of those questions. What actually works in this country? Um, and the best he could come up with was the furlough scheme. 
which isn't actually in existence anymore. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about much more besides. Right now, though, let's talk about the Notting Hill Carnival because we talked already to David Spencer about the state of policing. There's a new report out from the Policy Exchange suggesting uh, that the police need to be much less woke and they need to be much more about fighting crime, preventing crime, and actually investigating crime. Dr Claire Holder, OBE, is a barrister. She's the former chief executive of the Notting Hill Carnival. Uh, That's from 1989 to 2002. She left... uh, after a bit of rancour, it would seem, a bit of politicising uh, of the whole event. It's been criticised in the last uh, few days because of all the violence that erupted on Sunday and Monday in particular. Uh, one man was stabbed to death. Um, the Notting Hill Carnival, it has been suggested, should either be shut down or moved to a better location. Um, Dr Clare, a very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Um, Thank you for inviting me. Um, what's your view of the way that the, the carnival has kind of... Because it, it's kind of exploded into this mass event now, which is almost unpoliceable, isn't it? Well, I wouldn't quite say that. I think, first of all, let me start off by saying that carnival is nothing but a microcosm of this society. Mm. Any and everybody takes part in carnival. What needs to happen in carnival in relation to the growing numbers coming to carnival is that there needs to be a better management system that takes into consideration the right to have carnival in this country, in the streets of Notting Hill, and the best possible way of managing those crowds, policing those crowds, and indeed fulfilling all our responsibilities in relation to those crowds. So the fact that carnival happens is a given. It's going to happen. It represents a particular celebration of an event in both our histories. You're English, I'm from the Caribbean. Carnival happens because your ancestors enslaved my ancestors and my ancestors... I'm not having that. I'm not having that. I'm actually Scottish. I'm actually Scottish. I I have no idea what my ancestors did. Well, we do have (laughs) people of Scottish heritage in the Caribbean who were there as part of that process. It happened in the past. We're now moving forward together as the victors and we commemorate our ancestors' freedom from slavery. And all we say is, here is our commemorative celebration and everyone is allowed to participate to show that carnival is as inclusive as ever. Yes, but it's got nothing to do with the the then crime that that follows from it. There's no reason why I should be surprised when I read on Monday as I was going uh, past it, funnily enough, in a car, and I could hear the the, the noise that the police were starting to issue um, dispersal orders because there was so much crime going on as a result of the carnival. So that tells me either there's too many criminals going or the police are not capable of handling that size of a crowd. And so therefore something has to change. Well, first of all, I started off our conversation by saying that carnival is nothing but a microcosm of this society. So it's no surprise to you there's crime in society. You're going to expect crime in carnival. Not to say that we agree with the crime, because as far as I'm concerned, and I'm an old-fashioned carnivalist, I see carnival as a pilgrimage. And anyone coming to carnival to commit crime is nothing doing nothing but defiling the carnival environment in which we are meant to pay respect to our ancestors. Okay? So in that sense, um, carnival 
um, needs to be here. What needs to happen is a better way of managing it, a better way of policing it, a better way of us all fulfilling our responsibilities in Carnival, because the management of Carnival isn't just about policing. If it's just about policing, then you start off from the perspective that Carnival is nothing but a crime scene that the police need to come in and police. The police are not the only stakeholders in Carnival. You have a local authority that's responsible also for making an input into managing Carnival. And as far as I'm concerned, they are the biggest stakeholders and they have actually um, they have actually undermined the whole process of the management through their strategies of trying to get rid of Carnival as opposed to managing what people clearly want. You only get a million people on the street if a million people want it and want to be there. So the fact is that this society is telling you carnival must happen. Now we must find better ways yes. of managing it. No, I take, I take your point, but a million, a million people might like to do a great many things. And just because they want to do one thing doesn't mean that they should do it. Um, there may be other people whose voices we don't hear uh, because I've seen videos of streets that are so crowded it looks like people are actually getting crushed now you might say a lot of people quite like that quite enjoy it but when you get the statistics and you look at them and you say 74 police officers injured one female police officer headlocked sexually assaulted eight other sexual assaults countless acts of vandalism one murder six stabbings a record number of knives seized and 209 total arrests you're basically creating, are you not, a flashpoint for all of that to happen in one place. You know, you might say to me, well, on any Saturday night in London, that might happen. Yes, but it doesn't Absolutely. all happen. But it doesn't all happen in one place. And so you're basically creating a flashpoint for all of that to happen at one time. You're creating an environment in which crime is going to happen, however you manage the event. Once you gather people together, there is going to be crime. And therefore, the issue is not about bringing people together, but how you manage those people within the event. One of the things you mentioned is the fact that all you saw was a sea of people mm. crushing and crowding. And that sea of people is actually looking to uh, for entertainment in Carnival. And the entertainment in Carnival, for instance, has been deliberately diminished to try and deter people from coming. But they're not going to come. They're not going to be deterred. They come to look for entertainment. And so there's an imbalance in terms of what people, what is available for people by way of entertainment and people coming to Carnival. And these things are part of the whole management process, making sure you get the balance right, yeah. making sure you create an environment in which people are deterred from committing crime. But would it not be possible to conclude as well that it's just too big to manage and it's, not, it's now unmanageable? Therefore, it needs to be given a slightly new approach. Some have suggested having it in Hyde Park where it would be a more kind of... Um, a containable event, if you like. It could be more like, you know, the Hyde Park rock concerts that go on. It could be more like a, a, a Reading Festival type, type situation, you yeah. know, where you could actually control people's safety. Because, I mean, I would not take a child now to any event that was likely to turn into what we're looking at now on the TV screen. You know, years and years ago, uh, when my daughter, who's now 31, was five or six, you know, her grandparents took her and she loved it and she had a great time. I would not do that now. I think it's changed. I think it needs to be taken much more seriously. And I think it's all very well to say people should have a good time, but it's too big and it's too dangerous. It is big 
and it is too contained as it is within that section of Notting Hill. Yeah. But what you have just said actually goes back to what I initially said about its management. You know, many years ago, there was actually a very serious safety review of Carnival, yeah. which was funded by the London Development Agency, and about how best we could host Carnival within the streets, because it was quite clear, and I got this from the gold commander in Carnival itself, who said to me, this is a police officer, very senior police officer, who said to me, we absolutely do not want Carnival in a park, because the streets are self-limiting, and you can police a street, but you can't simply police a park. How do you identify where crime is happening? What, two trees down, you say? How does that become good for instructions to the police to deal with whatever issue? What needs to happen is how do we manage the streets, the streets in which the carnival take place? How do we spread the entertainment across carnival? How do we create safe areas for children to come to carnival? Because as far as I'm concerned, children shouldn't be crushed in the parade. No, of course not. It's dangerous. They, they and, more, and, and you don't want a situation, do you, where people are so crushed in that they, that they do die uh, or they do uh, suffer terrible injuries. But listen, we've got to run. Dr. Claire, thank you very much indeed for that. Dr. Claire Holden. A barrister, former chief executive of Notting Hill Carnival. Um, I just think it's too big, and I think um, people have said it's, it creates a, a space and an opportunity for crim- for crime, for criminals, for drug gangs, and all of that. And it's all very well saying people have a right to have a good time. Well, of course they do, but you wouldn't open up, you know, the tube and say, "Come and get free tube travel." Millions of people would go, and you'd, they'd, they'd all be crushed to death. You can't run the country like that. You can't run a carnival like that. Coming up, we'll talk to Adam Sage on the 25th anniversary of the death of Diana. Uh, He was, in fact, in Paris the night she died. This is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's an auspicious day, the 25th anniversary uh, of the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. We're going to talk to Adam Sage, the Times Paris correspondent, who was reporting from Paris at the time uh, of Diana's death. We'll get his story. Uh, We'll also take more of your phone calls, of course, as well, because the NHS, once again, has come up with another brilliant idea that probably won't work. Uh, They want to give you an app that tells you when you can get a doctor. But unfortunately, there are no doctors, there are no appointments, there are no GPs and there are no uh, recommendations that you can go to a hospital. So good luck with that. We were talking earlier to uh, a woman who used to run the Notting Hill Carnival who basically said, whenever you have a carnival, there's going to be crime. Well, lots of you are disagreeing. Joanna says, when you bring people together, you don't create the environment for crime. Penzance Pirate Festival, for example, I accidentally left my handbag behind by the time I realised some despicable pirate had handed it to security and it was on its way to the security office, where I collected it five minutes later. It was an attempt to gather the largest number of pirates for a world record attempt. It did sadly fail because some pirates stayed in the pub and weren't within the designated area for the count. It was a very safe family day and very, very busy. The claim that if you bring together a large number of people, you create the climate for crime is nonsense, as it appears is the claim that pirates are a bit of a nasty bunch, although they do enjoy a bottle of rum. 
uh, Ahara. So they do. But uh, let us talk now uh, on the anniversary of the death of the Princess of Wales. I think everybody uh, who was alive at the time remembers exactly where they were uh, when they heard it. I was uh, living in Wiltshire at the time and I got a phone call, funnily enough, from my sister who lived in New York because it was early hours of the morning. I'd been out for dinner with some friends and I was about to go to bed and she called and said there's been a car crash. Princess Diana's in the car. She's injured. At that point, she was still alive. But they think uh, that Dodie fired has either got a broken neck or is dead. Um, some hours later, I was back at work uh, at the Daily Express, um, churning out newspapers like you couldn't believe. Let's talk to Adam Sage, who was in Paris at the time of the crash. He wrote a fascinating piece um, on the 20th anniversary in 2017 of what he remembered from that day. Adam, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. It's one of those stories, isn't it, that will be forever... Uh, in your mind, uh, you know, it, will never, it never really goes away. It's one of the, the, you know, it's a bit like 9-11. It's one of those sort of cataclysmic events in history that, that if you were a part of working on it, you'll, you'll never forget it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember I, I'd just come back from holiday. I, I think it was my first day back on. Um, got a call very early on in the morning um, to tell me that Diana had died. And I went straight, obviously, to the Bondalanma uh, where the crash happened. Um, and of course, absolutely an unforgettably tragic day. Mm. The piece you wrote um, in 2017 was fascinating to me because obviously, you know, I was at the London end of all of the things that were happening. And, you know, there were various things that we can talk about um, in, a, in a moment. But, but you talked about running into a guy at the tunnel um, who became later the sort of uh, conspiracy theorist's friend who claimed to have seen not only the accident happening, but shortly before it happened, a sort of a, a flash of light and a, and a bang, almost as though something else had happened. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, he came up to me and said that he'd seen the, the accident um, and that there'd been a blinding flash of light that had, that had been at the origin of the accident. Um, so I, I immediately obviously got out my notebook, started scribbling down um, what he had to say. Um, but as I asked him questions, I became increasingly doubtful about his 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 story. Mm. Uh, he he'd come down from Rouen um, with his family. He told me um, with his wife and two children. So I said, "Well, what are you doing out at, 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 in the middle of the night? Have you come down with your two children?" Mm. He said, "Well, I've been out with my wife." I said, "Where?" He said, "To a nightclub." I said, "Well, where are your children?" Well, they were back in the hotel room, and I started to think, "Well." This this doesn't sound very right. plausible. Right. Um, so I pretty much discarded him. Although he later refined his story, cut out the bits. I mean, he'd obviously seen the incredulity on my face. He cut out the bits that uh, that didn't stick, mm. and then he went to the other media outlets uh, with the same story, but with a more plausible version of it. And that's how the the blinding flash conspiracy theory yeah. began. Because there are still people who think that something fishy happened. I mean, Mohammed Al Fayed. Um, still, if you ask him, will say that he believes the royal family had something to do with it. Um, he used that guy, I think, uh, did he not, as evidence that, that something awry had happened? Yes, absolutely. Well, I've, I mean, that guy, several months later, the investigating magistrate in charge of the case, uh, Stephan, uh, Judge Stefan, came to the same conclusion as me that that guy officially labelled him as a mythomaniac, that, that particular person. But yes, of course, I mean, the conspiracy theories were there then, they're there today, they're going to be there in 100 years' time. Um, um, we'll, we'll, they'll never go away. I mean, there are, of course, elements that, are, that were never cleared up about the, about the accident. Mm. Um, but I mean, personally, 
the most convincing and plausible account that I've seen has been from the French investigators and the British investigators mm. that it was a simple accident. Yes, and that Henri Paul, the chauffeur, had been drinking and that he had traces of uh, various different you know, prescription drugs in his system and that he was simply driving too fast to get away uh, from the paparazzi who were chasing. I spoke to Michael Cole, you know, Mohamed Al-Fayed's former spokesman, who uh, insisted he's no longer in the pay of Mohamed Al-Fayed, but basically insisted as well that, that Al-Fayed bears no responsibility. And I said, well, surely, you know, if the people protecting Diana had been better, that she would still be alive. Yes, of course. Well, it was a, it was a series of, uh, uh, as accidents often are, really. Mm. I mean, a series of little things that go wrong. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know why Paul should have been at the wheel of that car. He'd been drinking, he was in drugs. Um, um, I mean, the paparazzi shouldn't have f been on the trail like they were. Um, but, but um, uh, I mean, someone should have been able to get her out without the paparazzi following her through Paris. Um, uh, absolutely. But I mean, you know, as so often with accidents, it's it's a trail of things that go wrong, mm. of, of, of little mistakes that accumulate to make a big, big, big tragedy. Yeah, absolutely right. And back in England, of course, um, it was very shocking. Um, we saw, I think, society kind of almost changing before our very eyes. There was a moment where at one point you wondered whether the royal family would even acknowledge that it had happened. You know, the Queen and the rest of them were all up in Balmoral. I remember I was waiting for the Express at the time. We did a, we did a, we did a front page headline, um, which, which I actually wrote called Show Us You Care. Um, because that was the mood of the nation. There was a, there was no flag at half mast on Buckingham Palace. The royals hadn't come out and said anything, and it kind of really changed the 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 constitution in a way of the nation, didn't it? Well, I think it does. I mean, I've of course been in Paris. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the best person to talk about uh, how the impact on Britain. I mean, what I would say is that that it it underlined the the extraordinary. Um, scope and scale of the, of the British monarchy, the, the, its impact in France on the French public, and its continuing impact as well. I mean, obviously, Britain is the country that was most concerned, and I'm sure that what you're saying is right in the way that it shaped public opinion, but it shaped global opinion as well. Mm. I mean, it shaped French opinion. Um, I mean, the conspiracy theories, they're still existing in France, they still exist in America. It, it, this was not just a British event. This was a, this was an, a, a tragedy on a global scale mm. yeah and there's a fascinating piece in the times today uh, by tom bauer uh, who's also written about uh, the the al-fired connection and uh, as well as having written about members of the royal family and, and he says the truth about those last days with the fires and Mohammed al-fired was desperate wasn't he for dodi to marry her uh, to create this kind of dynasty of of you know slightly outside the royal family but kind of in the establishment world um and it was i mean it was a fascinating time wasn't it yes absolutely i mean huh. Well, I mean, um, who could have imagined when Diana was with Dodi on that yacht on the Mediterranean, what, what, what was going to happen? Mm. Um, uh, really, absolutely. I mean, it, it suddenly went from being a story that in France was in what they call the People magazines, which are the glossy yes. magazines, uh, to being on the front page of everywhere, um, to, to an extraordinary scramble. I mean, one of the... One of the uh, amid all the darkness and the tragedy, what, one of the one of the slightly amusing uh, elements of that night was that they couldn't find Jack Chirac, mm. um, who disappeared. Yes, uh, <laughs> um, uh, with his and mistress. With no, that, so in fact, it wasn't just well, his any old mistress; it was Claudia Cardinale, wasn't it? That's right, the Italian actress. I mean, <laughs> one of his many mistresses. Right. It has to be said. Um, and he'd gone off without, obviously, without telling his wife Bernadette where he was, or without telling his chauffeur and bodyguard where right. he was. And there was this huge scramble in the background in France to find him. 
Um, and he eventually, eventually did lay the hands on him. But it was it was a very, very panicky moment yes, for the French authorities. I can imagine. And and in Paris itself, I mean, I've I've stood at the uh, at the the, the, sort of the the bridge over the tunnel, um, yeah. where there's a little plaque, and sometimes, occasionally, flowers uh, are, are put. Is it is there something planned for the for the 25th anniversary as such, or not really? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I think officially France is not recognising it. I, th- I think it remains very, very present in French public opinion, though the French media have been writing about it um, extensively over the last few days, uh, writing about the investigation, who was Diana. We, I mean, every time you turn on the television here, you find it, you see the sort of programmes and documentaries on who she was then. So I don't, even though maybe officially it won't be recognised, it, it's very, very present in French public opinion, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, as far as the, um, um, I suppose, the, uh, the the way that, that Princess Diana will be remembered um, at that point, I mean, she was almost, she was at the height of her powers in a, in a way then, but you sometimes wonder what would have happened if she had eventually married Mohammed al-Fayed's son and where that would have all gone. Well, of course, one can, one can only imagine. I mean, in a sense... Um, uh, early deaths and tragic deaths do do give figures a kind of iconic, um, uh, uh, an iconic role in history, uh, and very possibly Diana will be remembered in decades and hundreds of years' time because of this very tragic mm. end at an early age, where she was the symbol of so many things of of, of fight against of, of fight against mines um uh, of the marriage that have gone into difficulty i mean she, she symbolized so many different things yeah. no doubt that if she hadn't died and as you said if she'd married dodi the, the story and her history and the, and the trace that she would have left for history would have been very very different and, and possibly less iconic mm, very much so adam great to talk to you thank you very much indeed adam sage the times paris correspondent who was there uh, the night diana died uh, in that car crash which was quite a remarkable uh, incredible week uh, for everybody i think in the world i mean it was one of the more amazing aspects of what happened was that we were producing so many newspapers and so selling so much and people have said oh well the journalist was somehow uh, responsible for her death well people were lapping up the coverage of it so much so that we could print almost unending numbers of newspapers that would all be bought and one of the things that always struck me was that mother Teresa died um in about the second day i think of, of, of the coverage of the of the of the death of princess diana and it was such an insignificant story that uh, we did it as a spread on pages 32 and 33 you know Normally it would have been the front page, but it's 32 pages back. Incredible times. Um, lots more to do. We'll take some calls. Uh, we'll play your Plank of the Week clip as well. Uh, do let us know what you think of all of it. Meghan Markle has overshadowed this uh, anniversary. Let's not let that happen, shall we? This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio. Talk radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.